The scripture reading for today is John 6, 1 through 15, 28 through 40, and 48 through 51. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in this place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And then they had eaten to their fill. He told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that had been done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Then they said to him, what must me do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven to do, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose n nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him would have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, Redeemer family. It's great to be back with you. It's been a while. Um, my better half, Sarah Tyson, and my two boys, Sam and Luke, with their buddies, Garrett and Graham. I see you. Um, they're visiting with us. So um, we just want to say thank you as, uh, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as uh, a church family. I have many individuals uh, from this, or, or families from your church, and also your senior pastor, Matt, 
Um, he's supported us in ways um, that I can't even get into. I'll just give you one. Uh, he's on what, what I would call uh, an oversight committee, but really it's just like a place where I can let my hair down, which I don't have a lot, but I can grumble and complain and they can love me and pray for me. Uh, I can be myself, tell them what I'm dealing with and not feel so crazy or alone. And uh, your pastor has pastored me along with some other folks in that, and I'm forever grateful. Um, but I just want to give you a brief update. As a, as a church family, y'all supported us in the past and, and presently. And so um, God opened a door for us in, in Klondike, the oldest African-American neighborhood in North Memphis, uh, named after the Alaskan Gold Rush because it was the second place right behind Orange Mound that African-Americans could own their own home. And uh, I'm working at the schools of Perea. Now, I went to seminary and didn't know what Perea was. But if you're like me and you didn't know what that was, Perea is the place where Jesus said, let the little children come to me. So I'm working in a school that was boarded up right next door to another school, Northside High School, that's boarded up. That is being, there's a lot of redevelopment coming over there, uh, but it's also, and in some sense, slow and years away. But I just want you to know uh, that the place that I get to work at every day, I'm the only guy who looks like me, and I somehow get to teach chapel to preschoolers every week, and it's the best part of my job. I get to do a weekly Bible study for parents. We call Parents in Prayer. Uh, I get to do all sorts of other things. Um, I'm part of the family engagement team. Uh, we do parenting classes, and it's not, hey, come and listen to Sam. He's figured out parenting. It's like, hey, uh, here's how I've screwed up, and let's pray together that God would help us. He's the perfect parent. Let's learn from him. And people actually show up, and they eat food, and they talk about parenting, and it's wildly encouraging, and I need it as much as anybody else. Um, things like that I get to do every day, every week uh, in North Memphis. And so um, one of the things, though, I love what's happening during the school day. We have some wonderful things happening. But after they go home, there's not a whole lot of options. My kids can play any sport they want to. In Klondike, they don't have options. So one of the things the nonprofit is focused on is after-school Bible club, after-school athletics, and then adult education. Some of you know in South Memphis, Advanced Memphis has been rocking it and killing it for over 20 years. They do faith and finances and the work-life curriculum, job readiness, preparedness. So financial literacy from a biblical perspective, those kind of things. Um, that's not happening over here. And so we, we're trying to offer some of that, what, learning from them in South Memphis and trying to bring that to uh, the edge of Midtown. And... Um, yeah, I want to. We're praying to start a, uh, the, our first ever little basketball team this year, um, and then also um, we've already done two semesters of after school Bible club, um, and we're continuing that. So as you think about us, um, yeah, it takes money to do on one level, but you know what? I need more than anything. I need you to pray. He, he who loves me best loves me in his prayers. J.C. Ryle said. And so anytime you think of Klondike or Perea or just little children, your own children, and how hard and wonderful and what a blessing it is to be a parent or just a friend of little ones, like Jesus was, let the little children come to me. Pray for us and pray for them. I'll give you, so that's the overview. Can I just tell you really what I'm trying to do? Let me just tell you what I'm really, really trying to do. So you can take one of these home and, and pray for little Katen. Katen, you can see probably his smile from there. But last year, Caton's dad died right before the school year started, and his mom told me that this happened, and she basically said, just keep an eye on him. Well, his teacher told me at the end of the day, every day after lunch, he would struggle. He would struggle big time. He, would, he needed some help. He, he was depressed. And here's the thing. All I did was ask him for help. I went into his room, got him out, and said, hey, i got to deliver these snacks to every classroom. Can you help me? He lit up. This is him carrying snacks into every classroom. And every class said, thank you, Katen. And he was glowing. 
That's something so small, y'all. It's a little bitty thing I was already doing, right? But all of a sudden, he's part of serving his brothers and sisters, and he's glowing. He went from really struggling in the class. It's not all fixed. It's not all solved. There's still loss. There's still trauma. There's still, but there's still smiles and joy and help. Uh, one other thing. I was doing a parents and prayer Bible study. We do a short devotional, and then I, I simply ask whoever's there, what do y'all want to pray about? And I write it down, and we have different people pray, and then I pray, and one of the moms said, I want y'all to pray for my son. I said, what's up? He goes, I think he's depressed. I said, well, tell us about it. He goes, at his birthday party, fifth birthday, right before we went to blow out the candles, she said, wait, 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 make a wish. So he makes a wish, and he blows out the candles, and his mom looks at him and says, what did you wish for? He goes, I wish for a dad. And man, when she said that, I got a dad. I, I mean, he's not perfect, but he would drive 16 hours to watch me play football. I got a dad. I know what that's like. I don't know what it's like to not have a dad. But some of these little ones, they do. And they need the church family, y'all, us, to step in and love them where they are. And you're doing that through this ministry. And so I would just ask you to pray for us. Uh, if the Lord tells you to give, do it. Great. I ain't worried about it. I'm not dealing in scarcity, which we'll talk about today. There's an abundance with Jesus. I ain't worried about any of that. But I think you would be blessed to pray for your city, pray for your neighborhood, pray for Redeemer, pray, pray for Memphis, and throw us in there too. Um, and I want to do that right now. I just want to pray once, once again. As I attempt to preach God's word, look, y'all, I got to hide behind Jesus, and I want y'all to hear him because I'm, I'm an idiot. So let me pray for y'all and me, and let's go to Jesus. Father, thank you for Jesus, who is the living bread, who would be blessed and broken and distributed even to us, even today at this table. So remind us of your goodness and your abundance, uh, even now, so that we can hide in you, Jesus, that you would be our teacher by your spirit. So open our ears, open our hearts, so that our hands and our feet would follow you and love you and love our neighbor. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're just going to talk about three things, really. Uh, bread is life, number one. Number two, living bread. And number three, you got to keep eating. Jesus is still feeding us. The Last Supper was not the Last Supper because we're going to have it again. He's still feeding the multitudes. I don't know how many people in Memphis today are taking the Lord's Supper, but that's just one city in the world, and thousands of people are still feeding on Christ. So keep feeding on him. That's where we're going. Number one, though, bread as life. In the ancient world, y'all know this, bread was called the staff of life. So if you're on a journey, a staff was used for support. So bread is the original life support. Where there is no bread, there is no life. Bread was a staple in the ancient world. And so when we talk about bread, when Jesus talks, shows up on the scene talking about bread, we're just going to give a brief little overview of some of the places bread shows up in the Bible. I want you to know, though, Every part of me loves bread, especially my mom's biscuits. And if you know anything about my family, a couple of y'all do, we like to eat too much sometimes. But my mom's biscuits are ridiculous in a good way. My boys back there, y'all have made them with her, y'all know. Um, I, that wasn't always the case. The first time my mom tried to make these biscuits, she made them with my mamaw. My dad comes in to taste test, and uh, he takes a bite, and my dad being my dad goes, mmm, mamaw, show her again. And... Uh, so apparently, they weren't always this del delicious and life-giving, but now they are. they are. They are lovely. They are a labor of love, and they're lovely. Now, one, one year, she even baked for our, our church congregation, like 125 people. She baked 
uh, these biscuits and gave them out as, uh, we delivered them uh, as Christmas presents. They're that good. They're amazing. I want you to know that the word companion in Latin is with bread. So, so bread is a friendly companion. I'm just trying to get you to know, like this morning, when you think of bread, I want you to think of life and sustaining life and life-giving. I would really encourage you as a summer read. Y'all got to read the book Ben was talking about, but if you put this one on yourself to get to later, get to it this semester, get to it next summer. It'll bless you, and then you can give it to somebody else. It's my favorite book. It's called A Meal with Jesus. It goes through the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is always on his way to a meal, sitting down at a meal, or coming from a meal. Jesus loved to eat, and he wants to share with you. A Meal with Jesus, check it out. But the second time we see bread in the Bible is this. Y'all remember Melchizedek? Where'd that guy come from? I don't know. But Melchizedek shows up, he's a priest, and he hangs out with Abraham. And you know what he's celebrating? He's celebrating the fact that Abraham just triumphed over, his, uh, triumphed over his enemies. But it was God who gave him that victory. And so on the first pages of the Bible in Genesis, you have bread and you have wine as symbolic images of the victory and grace and provision of God. Way back in Genesis, you have that. Then you have Abraham being visited by three really weird strangers. And one of them, we believe, is the Lord incarnate. And he's saying to Abraham, hey, Sarah's going to have a son. And Abraham bows low and says, bring him some food. And the first thing on the menu, bread. Then you have that whole book of Exodus, the whole thing about the Passover, you know, God providing miraculously and freeing his people, all that stuff. They had a feast every year. God said, I want you to party with a purpose. I want you to, it's the feast of unleavened bread, the Passover. I want you to eat this bread of haste that signifies, hurry up, y'all. Get to this redemption. Get to this salvation. Get to this freedom and celebrate it every year so you don't forget because God is leading you somewhere. He's taking you out of captivity to serve him, which is true freedom. So you have the bread of haste, the unleavened bread. You have the other festivals too, the festivals of harvest we could get into, but let's just keep going. Even after that, what do the, what, what the people do? Just like me, they get cynical and they complain. They say, God, you brought us out here to die. You know what God does? He doesn't wipe them out, which I would have done. He, wipes, he brings down bread from heaven called manna, which is like, what is it? What is it? That's what it means. What is it? It's God providing for you in the face of your cynicism and anger. You're hangry. We get it. But God is patient, and he feeds you with bread from heaven. Then there's the tabernacle. Y'all remember this? The, it's called the bread of presence. Every day, this fresh bread. I think this means God loves bread more than I do because perpetually before him, there's supposed to be offerings of bread, the bread of presence in the temple. Then you have the 12 spies who are going into the promised land, right? And they're supposed to come back and tell God's people what's up. And they said, it's amazing, except there's some giants. And we'll be like grasshoppers. They're going to devour us. But you know what Joshua and Caleb say? Uh-uh, don't rebel against God. Mm-mm. God is not with them. He's with us. And you know what they say? They will be bread for us. God's not with them. He's with us. They're not going to devour us. We'll devour them. They'll be like bread for us. Just two more. David's on the run from Saul. And he runs into the temple. And you remember the priest gives him the bread of presence. The holy bread that's consecrated to God, David and his people eat it. You know why? Because they're suffering. They're tired. They're on the run. There's injustice. He's running for his life. And the Pharisees in the New Testament, they get mad at the disciples for going and getting a little snack in the field. And they say, why are they working on the Sabbath? Why are they doing what's unlawful? And you know what Jesus says? They're innocent. 
Y'all need to go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I mean, if you think God is upset that people are getting fed, you don't know God very well. (laughs) Jesus loves to have compassion on people no matter what time it is, no matter what day it is. He wants his people fed. And so Jesus says they're innocent. I desire mercy over sacrifice, y'all. What you talking about? What about Isaiah 58? Is this not the fast I choose? God's people are saying, we're fasting and God doesn't see. Look at all our songs and our religious activity and God does not see. And God says, no, I see it, but I see every other day of the week. And y'all are fooling around. Y'all are oppressing people. There's no justice in the land. Like, stop it. This is the fast I choose, that you break oppression and injustice. You break every yoke and you share your bread, it says, with the hungry, and you bring the poor into your own house. Then your light will shine like the dawn and your righteousness will go forth and the Lord will be your rear guard. The prophets are trying to tell you something. The the provision that God has lavished on you, you're supposed to give to others. Finally, y'all remember Elijah? Elijah, I mean, man, the life of Elijah. Go back and read some of Elijah. He's on the mountaintop and then he's in the depths. I feel with Elijah. There are good days, there are bad days. Elijah knows that. But in this moment, Elijah's hungry, and he goes to a widow, a foreign widow, and he says, hey, I need, I need a snack, I need some lunch, bake me some bread. But she thinks it's her last supper. She had, just has a little bit. And she goes, I was just going to bake some bread, and I was going to eat a few bites, and I was going to give some to my son. He's going to take a few bites, and then we're both going to die. You know what Elijah says anyway? Just bake me some bread. And she does it. And you know what God does? He takes that little, and, and she goes back, and there's more. And she goes back. And there's more. And God keeps providing. Miraculously, there's more. Hmm. Here's the point of all these instances. In almost every instance, when you look at bread in the Bible, here's the thing. The question on God's people's mind is, is God going to show up? Is God really going to provide? And so some of you are there right now. Some of you have just been through that. Some of you will go through that. And some of you live a little bit longer, you'll be there too. Is God going to provide? Is he going to show up? Are we going to trust God to come through? And I'll be the first to admit I struggle with this. Are we going to trust God to come through? Or like Abraham and Sarah, are we going to try to help God with his provision? Y'all remember that whole Hagar thing that didn't end well? Look, even if we were to go to the New Testament, we prayed it just a minute ago. We said, give us today our daily bread. I don't know if there's a more humbling, beautiful prayer than to say, Lord, give me today and give my people, your people today, because it's plural, it's us. It's a corporate prayer. I can't be happy and satisfied if my people aren't happy and satisfied. Give us today what we need. Not tomorrow, not next month, not next week, not next year. Today has enough for its own. Tomorrow has enough trouble. Jesus, I need today. My people need today. We need today for you to show up. What a beautiful prayer. If that's all you pray tomorrow and keep praying it, that's a good prayer. (laughs) That's Jesus' model for praying. We should try it more. I should try it more. Jesus, give us today what we need. And then if you read Paul, this is the last one. If you read Paul, you'll, you'll see him talking about Yes, the body and blood of Jesus, Jesus the bread, but he he talks about us, the body of Christ. We, the church, are one loaf. We, too, are the body of Christ, metaphorically, right? And we are to be broken, blessed, broken, and given for the life of the world, too. 
right? Jesus, yes, he, he's the only one. His sacrifice, one time. I can't save anybody. But you know what? Following Jesus, I'm also to be blessed, broken, given for the life of the world. That is the movement of God in this world, y'all. I know it looks like there's a scarcity problem. You know, sometimes I look at the bank account, or sometimes I, I look at my parenting, or my husbanding, or my whatever it is, neighboring. I don't have enough. I don't. There's not enough. This story, this miracle teaches us you're exactly right. 200 denarii are not enough. Thousands and thousands of dollars in today's economy. That's not enough to feed this many people. Jesus says, what do you have? Bring it to me and watch what happens. There's enough to share. Our second point, though, is living bread. So we went through all that bread stuff to kind of whet your appetite to get to Jesus, who he fulfills the Old Testament, and he is going to bring light and meaning even more so into this idea of bread for you. So here you have Jesus on the mountainside, and every single gospel highlights this episode, and they do it from different perspectives. Matthew, he highlights Jesus' compassion. B.B. Warfield's uh, essay, The Emotional Life of Our Lord, he says compassion is the number one emotion attributed to Jesus. Jesus' knee-jerk reaction to people was compassion. And I got to be honest, it's not mine, (laughs) but I want it to be. His knee-jerk reaction was to meet people in their need. He looks out at this multitude, and he has compassion on them. Mark records that, that Jesus poked Philip lovingly. He kind of he tested Philip a little bit. He said, hey, um, y'all feed him. <laughs> you see, the disciples already had a plan, and it would have been my plan. Jesus, I'm hangry too. I'm tired. It's been a long day. We've been out here all day. The Jesus Storybook Bible Kids, it says when you were listening to Jesus, it's like time didn't exist. They didn't mean to be out there all day, but when Jesus was talking, you couldn't help but listen. The Son of God is in the flesh. He's the best teacher in the world. He's doing miraculous things, and all these people are gathered. They're not going anywhere, and we would have been sitting there too, ready to go. Even though they're tired and hungry, and they would have fainted along the way, Jesus said, if they sent them away. The disciples had a plan. Send them away. Jesus says, no, you feed them. And I just want to tell you, this is a whole other sermon, but I just want to tell you, Jesus will put you in impossible situations. And it's not because of a lack of love. It's because he loves you so much that he's going to show up and show you how good he is so that you might trust him and depend and lean on him more and know that you are totally dependent on him. And there is freedom in that because you're coming to Jesus on his terms and not your own. So Jesus looks at his disciples and says, you feed them. And I love this because they're like, we don't have enough. Even if we had all this money, they don't have a Whole Foods right there like y'all do. We can't go get it all. What are they going to do? Jesus knows all this. Don't get it twisted. Jesus Jesus didn't bump his head. He knows exactly what he's doing. John is the only one, though, that records the, the aftermath, which we'll get into in a second. But Luke records that Jesus welcomed everybody and had them sit down. Like, I know y'all are tired. Y'all come on in and sit down. Jesus welcomes them, proving he's the host of this little picnic party. And as he teaches them about the kingdom of God, he tells his disciples, y'all give them something to eat. They're panicking because in that comment, 200 denarii are not enough for everybody even to get a little bit. Philip is saying this, with all our human effort and ingenuity and all, like everything that we can do, Jesus, it's not enough for anybody to get, for everybody to get something. (laughs) How honest is that? I love it. He's right. 
He's just telling Jesus, like, we, don't, we ain't got it. We're not equipped. We don't have enough. And here's what Jesus says. When you look at it from every angle, it wasn't in the text we read, but it was in, one of, it was in Luke. Um, he says, no, what do you have? Y'all know that Jesus could have snapped his fingers and he could have made the mountain meatloaf. I mean, that's silly, but it's kind of not. I mean, he had ravens bring food to Elijah. Jesus could have brought down manna from heaven, just like he told him anyway. He's like, my father did that. Moses didn't do that. My dad did. And I'm the true bread coming down. Jesus could have done a number of things to feed these people. But you know what he did? He said, what do you have? He started with the little that they had. Sure, it wasn't enough. Everybody could clearly see it wasn't enough. Peter's brother says, all we got is a little boy with a little lunch, but it's not enough. That's laughable. And Jesus says, bring it to me. Jesus says, bring the little bit to me and watch. So, so what if I, instead of focusing on all the things I don't have, what if I thank God for, the little, for whatever I do have? What if I thank God for meaning I place it before Jesus and I watch Jesus bless it, break it, and miraculously there's enough to share? I think we need a theology of leftovers when it comes to Jesus. There's more than enough when we come to him. Y'all, think about your own sin. Think about your own heart. That's a problem. I don't have enough to deal with that. Jesus does. I mean, fill in the blank. The crime in Memphis. I'm not, I don't know how to, it's too much for me take it to Jesus. Whatever it is that's on your heart and mind, whatever it is, you don't have enough, I don't have enough, we don't have enough. You know who does? Jesus does. So let's place it before him and ask him to move. So what's amazing about this whole thing before we get to our third point is this. Jesus is doing these crazy miraculous things. He had just fed them and then he starts talking about being bread from heaven. They're like, wait, wait, wait. We know your parents. We know you didn't come down from heaven. They're having a hard time with his saying, with his, his teaching. And then he's talking about eating his own flesh. And some of, a lot of people leave. I mean, this is kind of crazy stuff. But they say to him, what must we be doing to be doing the works of God? What sign do you give us that we may believe? And by the way, he had just performed a sign. And the whole crowd was there in the first place because he was doing signs and miracles. He was healing the sick. And so people saw signs and wonders. But Jesus tells them, don't labor for this food that's perishing, but labor for the food that lasts eternally. I am that true bread. Yeah, Moses didn't give it to you. My father did. And I am this bread. And they say, give it to us, right? Right after this, y'all, the disciples leave. If you go read Mark uh, 6 and 8, chapter 6 and chapter 8, Jesus feeds the 5,000, and then later he feeds the 4,000, Okay. And then right after that, the disciples get in a boat and they're hanging out, they're, they're going. And Mark records that the disciples started arguing, they started discussing who brought the bread. And Jesus looks at them in the boat and says, do y'all still not get it? Like, are y'all hard-hearted? You don't understand? Like, I, if I'd have been there, I'd have been doing the same thing. I'd blame it on Peter. Peter, you were by the bread, you should have brought it. They had one loaf of bread, they're arguing over who should have brought the rest. And Jesus says, um, hey, when we fed the multitudes over there the first time, how many baskets full were left? And so they start counting it. Twelve, Jesus. He's like, yeah, you got it. Okay. And then we did it again. 
We fed the multitudes again. How many baskets full do we get over here? And they said, okay, seven. Now look, they didn't teach us this in seminary. I have no idea what those numbers mean, representative. Like, if you start looking at numbers in the Bible and you start attaching meanings to every one of them, you're, you're probably on dangerous ground. But, but at the same time, let me just tell you something. Jesus does all things well, intentionally. Why not three baskets full? Why not 150? Like, I'm just asking the question. I don't know. Here's what I think, and I think this might be encouraging to you. There's 12 baskets full. How many, nation, how many tribes were in Israel? 12. How many disciples? 12. It's just a symbolic number that means all of God's people. I think what Jesus is trying to say is, I got all my people. How many days in a week? Seven. Seven baskets full. All the time. I think he's saying, I'm better than Walmart or 7-Eleven. I'm open all day, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and I got more than you need. I got, more, I got enough. So come to me. I got all you need all the time. I think that's what Jesus wants me to know. I think that's what he wants you to know. I think that's what he wants his disciples to know. And they're arguing over the bread, and the bread of life is in the boat with them. It's so funny. But I, I love Jesus. He doesn't throw them overboard. I'd have, I'd have kicked one of them. I would have. I'd be like, come on, guys. Did y'all not see those miracles? Get with the program. But he lovingly corrects them and says, hey, guys, I'm here. As long as I'm here, you don't have to worry about provision. And I want you to know the last words Jesus tells them is like, hey, I'm with you always. Jesus, Emmanuel, is with you. And as long as Jesus is with you, and he will be forever, you don't have to worry about God's provision. The disciples are slow to learn this, and so am I. But I want you to know, God has enough for you. All right, so here's what I want to do, though. I want you to keep eating. I want you to keep feasting on Jesus. Again, you're going to be welcome to this table this morning. And, and this last supper, is, it's not the last one in, in a sense. Like, right, yeah, that happened. But, like, God is still feeding us through, through Christ. And he wants us to be like him, to be broken and given away for the life of the world. There's a, uh, there's a scene, though, I want you to remember. It's the Mount of Transfiguration. And the reason I'm going to this is because after this event, after this feeding of the multitudes, the very next thing that happens is Jesus is asking his disciples, hey, who are they saying I am? And they're like, uh, some people are saying this, I'm Moses, Elijah, all this stuff, the prophet. And he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ. He's like, nailed it. <laughs> And then the next thing out of Jesus' mind, what, I mean mouth, what is on the heart and mind of Jesus after this episode? His whole life, his whole ministry is going somewhere. He's moving to the cross. They're going to try to take him by king, he knows, and uh, take him by force and make him king. So he leaves. Because he's not going to a throne, he's going to the cross. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. And so he predicts his death. Right after this happens, Jesus is talking about who he really is, and then he predicts his death, that he's going to lay down his life. Right after that, you have the Mount of Transfiguration. What's on the mind and heart of Jesus is so clearly his death. And then we're given a glimpse into what happened when he goes up this mountain to be with God. He takes three of his disciples with him, and here's the scene. I want you to picture this, because I think this is, I think this is amazing, and it's so encouraging to my heart. What's wild is, it's, yes, it's wild that he can go and just be with God and, and he takes his people with him. But do you know, do you remember who shows up? Moses and Elijah. They show up there too. 
And I'm thinking like, why are they there? I mean, that's cool, but like Jesus is fully human. Now he's fully God, absolutely, but he's also fully human. And so Jesus and his humanity, I'm just thinking like, what does Jesus need this for? What, why are they there? So you start thinking, who is Moses? Who's Elijah? Well, we already talked about it a little bit, but Moses knows something about God's miraculous provision. God knows about Exodus, and we don't know fully why they're there. The Bible doesn't tell us, but you know what the Bible does tell us? It gives us a little sneak peek into what they were talking about. Jesus was talking about his departure, and the word in Greek is Exodus. Jesus was talking about his Exodus to the dude who knows about Exodus. Freedom from bondage. Jesus is talking about what's going to happen to get freedom from bondage. That's what they're talking about. He's talking about his exodus. Moses, that was his ministry, y'all. That was his call, exodus. So why Elijah, though? I, I, I had totally forgotten this. And as I go back to read and think about Elijah, Elijah, y'all remember that widow we mentioned? She had a son, but her son died. And Elijah, being a man of God, he spread out over that little boy. And he prayed three times that God would raise him. And you know what? God raised him. So Jesus in his full humanity is standing there next to a faithful saint who's gone before him who knows about Exodus, freedom from bondage. And he's standing next to another faithful saint who knows the God who can raise a dead son. And Jesus is going to lay down his life as God's only son. And he's doing it in full confidence, knowing that his father loves him. That's the cherry on top of that mountain. God says, you're my beloved son and you am well pleased. And so here's what I want you to know. When the love of God is proclaimed over you, you have abundance. You, you have more than enough. It doesn't matter what you face. The face of God is on you. It's for you. It smiles at you. It delights in you. That shapes you more than your circumstance. And you got enough. You got stuff to share. I don't care what anything else tells you. That is what shapes you. That is what defines you. Nothing else can shape you like that. So I need you to, this, this day, listen to the voice of God who proclaims over you, my daughter, my son, I love you. I delight in you. I'm so pleased that you're mine. That is what God wants for you and he wants for me. That's what I want for these little ones and their parents and the staff. That's what I want for Memphis in this world, to know the love of God that is abundant. Y'all, Jesus is going to the cross like we mentioned. And I'll just end with this. The first time you see bread in the Bible, God says to Adam and Eve after they rebel against him, the fall, he says, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to eat bread. You see, the curse wasn't just on Adam and just on Eve. It was also on this world. Now your life and your labor will be frustrating. It's not going to be easy. By the sweat of your brow, by your labor, you're going to eat bread. Because you know why it's going to be sweaty and hard and frustrating? Because thorns are going to infest the ground. And Jesus takes that curse. The sign of that curse is thorns. And, and it's like the only thing he's wearing on the cross. He puts it on his head. And he sweats but he also sweats blood. And for bread to have its effect, for you to be nourished, you got to tear it apart. You got to take it in. It has to be torn. And so Jesus on the cross is literally being that bread for you, being broken 
so that you could be made whole. And I got to tell you, if you believe that, if you take that in, if you chew on that, guess what? The staff of life, the, the, the life support, you'll, you'll have enough. Even if you're limping, you'll have enough. You will have enough. Jesus really is enough for you, and he's enough for me. I want to fight to believe that, and I want you to as well, because here's the deal. If you fight to believe that, you'll have leftovers, and everybody loves leftovers. Let's share. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you that you love us so much that you would be willing to be broken so that we might be made whole. Help us to receive this gift. Bless it, break it, give it away, and help us to see that there's an abundance. In Jesus' precious name, amen.